Intersection Education Podcast. Schools are the place where different institutions, services, and societal influences meet. In other words, they're at the intersection of children's lives. In the Intersection Education Podcast, we speak with insiders and outsiders of the education world to try to gain new insight and improve our schools. Hello and welcome to the Intersection Education Podcast. As usual, I'm your host, Corey Haley. My guest in this episode is Dr. Jennifer Tupper, who is currently the Dean of the Faculty of Education at the University of Alberta. The University of Alberta is a bit of a return home for Dr. Tupper, as she did both her undergraduate and doctorate degrees there. And in between, she was professor at the University of Regina and moved up to the role of Dean in the Faculty of Education there as well. Dr. Tupper has won many awards for her teaching and research, including the 2009 Canadian Association of Curriculum Studies Outstanding Publication Award, and she even has racked up an award for teaching excellence at the University of Alberta. Outside of all these accomplishments, one of the reasons I really wanted to speak with Dr. Tupper is that I'm interested in how new teachers are taught and what goes into the program for teachers who are about to enter the classroom. And I was really happy because Dr. Tupper provided us with some answers and gave us a glimpse into this complicated world of educating future teachers. I think you're going to like it as well. If you're interested in listening to other episodes of the Intersection Education Podcast, connect with us on our website, intersectioneducation.com. Follow us on Twitter, at Intersection Ed, or even on Facebook. We really appreciate it when you rate us on iTunes and leave a review. Now, here's my conversation with Dr. Jennifer Tupper. Well, hello, Dr. Tupper. Welcome to Intersection Education. How are you today? I am well. Thanks, Corey. How are you? I'm doing very well as well. Um, you know, I am really excited to speak to you today because I and and many out in the field think that faculties of education have, have really one of the most difficult jobs there is. And that is preparing future teachers for the complexities of their first classroom. And you only have four years to do it. And of that, not even quite four years sometimes. So, I'm really interested to see and hear when you think about the process uh, of of getting a new uh, a person who's new to university and then preparing them for that first day in their classroom. What are some of the core values or some of the main ideas that guide you in in helping to prepare those future leaders and teachers? Yeah, I appreciate that question, and I will share just as a bit of background that. As a, a community of faculty, staff, and students, we've recently articulated our core values, and we have endorsed those um, in a more formal way through faculty council. So I'm going to share some of those with you because I think that values um, are best articulated uh, when they are collectively created, and I don't want to misrepresent um, the collective creation of these. So in the Faculty of Education, these are the things that we have noted we value students, faculty, staff, and our partners in education, psychology, and library and information studies within and beyond the university. And that's because we do teacher education here, but we also do the education of 
um, registered psychologists, clinical psychologists and counseling mm-hmm. psychologists, and library and information studies professionals as well. We value varied and diverse programs and learning op- opportunities in undergraduate and graduate education in the service of supporting lifelong learning. We value health and well-being through mutual respect, empathy, and compassion embodied in ethical behavior and positive relationships and a sense of belonging, diversity, inclusivity, equity, transparency, and fairness. We value opportunities for establishing and renewing relations between Indigenous peoples, settlers, and newcomers in the spirit of truth and reconciliation. We value innovation, collaboration, curiosity, and creativity in teaching, learning, research, scholarship, service and leadership. We value sustainable and responsible stewardship of people, finances, and environment. And of course, as a university faculty of education, we value academic freedom, multiple perspectives, and public engagement locally, nationally, and internationally. And so those core values are infused in all of our programs at the undergraduate and graduate level. Wow. Sounds like you've been thinking uh, a lot about that. And I love your idea of, of speaking to your community because I agree with you when, when values are, are shared and, and held communally, that, that gives you more direction. Mm-hmm. Now, now I know that teacher education is, is something that you study and, and I'm interested to know what you feel that the research is saying or what are some of the things about the research that you're, you're really seeing that, that, that is important for you around teacher education right now? Yeah, thanks for that question. And and it's a huge uh, scholarly body of, of research, and there's lots of different areas of teacher education. So I'll speak sort of more broadly. Um, so there is a lot of research right now that is helping us think about inclusive practices in teacher education. And so that is how do we educate the whole child in all of um, their diversity um, in response to complex learning needs, a variety of um, learning approaches, etc. So it's really about rejecting kind of a standardized way of teaching and learning, a one-size-fits-all approach to teaching and learning. And this is not new in educational research. It's been um, very much part of the, the research and scholarship over the last 30 years. But I think it's becoming um, more broadly taken up because of the increasing complexities of classrooms um, in Alberta and indeed throughout the country. So there's a recognition that the ways in which we we thought about teaching and learning 40 years ago, while there may still be some pieces that are relevant today, it's a different context and children, you know, are quite different and their realities are quite different, in fact, than they were 40 years ago or 30 years ago or even 20 years ago when I, 25 years ago when I started teaching. Yeah. We see the complexity and it's one of the things we, we talk about on this show a lot and also the different aspects of that whole, I, the whole child, that whole complexity. So I, I appreciate that answer. I'm interested and I like this question because it makes you kind of think out of the box. Now I'm not saying that you don't have elements of, of what I'm going to ask you. So I don't want you, I don't want it to come across as me saying that it's wrong, but let's say we gave you a blank slate. And, and we asked you to create the ideal teacher education program where money was not an object. There was no political influence. It was just you um, as an expert on teacher education and your vision. What would it look like? What are some of the key points that you would that you would set up? Yeah, it's fun to dream. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it? 
And and I was, I'll say this as well, that right now at, in the Faculty of Education at U of A, we are engaging in a program review and renewal process. So the timing of your question is excellent because we are actually doing some of that dreaming together about what the ideal program would look like. And I think that there would be um, elements that would look familiar to what we are already doing. So there would be opportunities uh, for students to engage in um, curriculum courses, in pedagogic courses, in field experience opportunities, but I would like to see um, a field experience more broadly conceived so that there would be consistent opportunities for students to um, work in K-12 classrooms, but also to work in other um, educational settings that are not K-12, um, to see a di different communities of learners in different contexts outside of formal education, because I think that that can also um, help our students to think more holistically about the children and youth that they'll be alongside. Um, at its core, I think a teacher education program needs to be anti-oppressive in its orientation. And so what I mean by that is we would create opportunities for our students to both understand and challenge um, dominant narratives of teaching and learning that affirm very narrow and particular ways of thinking about um, children and youth uh, that reinscribe um, dominant narratives of teaching and learning and that continue to marginalize um, youth who aren't part of the the dominant social category. So to me, that, that must be part of um, teacher education, any teacher education program. And we're working on that now. Um, what else? We would have all kinds of additional dollars to provide interesting and innovative um, creative opportunities for our students and our faculty members to engage in learning together. Um, Place-based learning would absolutely, I think, be an important part of, of our dream as a faculty of education, but that requires resources. Um, we would love to have uh, regular access to Indigenous elders and knowledge keepers as part of our teacher education program, um, opportunities to learn from and alongside um, LGBTQ2 um, plus communities as well. So it would really be about taking, um, taking what we already do and expanding opportunities so that our students are thinking much more deeply and critically about teaching and learning so that they can transform their own classrooms. Yeah. I want to talk about two of the things that you just mentioned. And, and, and from my view, and now I work in the province of Alberta, uh, and, and we hear and, and we have a perception. We make a story about the faculty of education at U of A, and we see some amazing programs. And I think it's specifically two of the ones that you just mentioned, and that's that uh, Aboriginal or Indigenous education and the LGBTQ plus or two plus. I want you maybe tell me a little bit about a work or, or those who are unfamiliar with the work, sure. uh, maybe a quick, quick uh, uh, survey of kind of what you're doing in those areas, but also why you think those two things are really important for ongoing research and teacher education. Sure. And so I will come back to why I think they're important um, at the end of my sort of description of them. Mm -hmm. I'll talk first about uh, Aboriginal or Indigenous um, education. We have the Aboriginal Teacher Education Program as part of our offerings um, at the U of A. So ATEP has been around for over a decade with more than uh, 200 students graduating, mostly Indigenous students graduating 
um, and taking up teaching positions as a result of that program. It um, operates from an Indigenous paradigm. It um, really takes seriously um, foundational Indigenous knowledge in that program and at its core is about um, lifting up Indigenous learners in classrooms throughout the province um, because this is a group who have been historically um, harmed by education. So this program is a response to that historic harm, recognizing that um, Indigenous students need to learn from Indigenous teachers and that, in fact, good in, Indigenous pedagogies are good pedagogies for all students in the province. So we're really proud of that program. It is It has historically been community-based, so we um, deliver a cohort program in community, um, and we've been all over um, central and northern Alberta delivering that program. And we also now have an urban secondary cohort here at the U of A because there is a need in urban centres like Edmonton um, for Indigenous teachers to support uh, students in schools, all students in schools. In addition to the ATEP program, all of our students in the teacher education program, elementary and secondary, take a required course, EDU 211, and it's a foundational knowledge course, so that they have an opportunity uh, to learn about the histories, experiences, and perspectives of Indigenous peoples in this treaty territory, and indeed throughout the country, um, in ways probably that you and I did not have access to in our own education. So it's, it is about uh, tr- truth-telling and um inviting students into a different way of thinking about and knowing the history of this country. Yeah. Um, so that's the indigenous. Uh, I've heard some really great things about your LGBTQ2+. Um, maybe tell me a little bit about what's going on there. You bet. All kinds of things are going on there. So we have, we're really proud uh, that we have the Institute for Sexual Minority Studies and Services in the Faculty of Education. Uh, Dr. Andre Grace is CRC, Canada Research Chair in uh, Sexual and Gender Minority Studies and is doing amazing work locally, provincially, nationally, internationally um, in a research and advocacy way to um, support LGBTQ2 youth and families. And so through ISMIS, we have the Camp Firefly program, which is a summer camp for LGBTQ2 um, plus and questioning uh, young people to come together. Um, It's a leadership focused camp. So it is helping them um, develop some important leadership and advocacy skills, as well as uh, just to have support and be alongside um, other individuals who have had similar experiences. So that's Camp Firefly. And then we have the FINS program, which is Firefly in Schools. And so it's a group of facilitators that go out into schools and work with classroom teachers and students um, to understand LGBTQ2 plus issues, uh, challenges, and the importance of creating, um, I'm going to say not just welcoming, but affirming um, communities in schools for students. So that is amazing. We have the CHU program, which is the Comprehensive um, Health Education Workers Program, working with really vulnerable, um, often street-involved young people. We have, gosh, I don't even, there's so much going on. We have Where the Rivers Meet, which is an educational program 
for um, Indigenous LGBTQ2 youth, and that is um, expanding across the province and is reaching into uh, schools and educational communities as well. And we have also undergraduate classes and graduate classes that help our students um, really understand in a, in an anti-oppressive kind of way the importance of this work and of supporting um, LGBTQ2 plus students in schools to have positive educational experiences. So we, I would say that ISMIS is one of the, the flagships in this faculty for sure. Yeah. Now I am interested to know, like, you know, I, I think about and I hear about those two faculties and, and, and personally down what I see in schools, I see they're important. But there's another piece of that, and that's that ongoing research piece, which I think that y- you you have a have a it's like kind of the reason that education faculties exist. It's not only to support and create teacher preparation, but to to further the research. Why do you think it is important to be looking at those two areas? I don't know if you want to treat them together or separately, but um, what are the kind of conversations that you have in in, in playing out the importance of those uh, topics? Yeah, and I I think that there are some intersections because in both instances with Indigenous education and LGBTQ2 plus um, educational initiatives, we are wanting to um, use really good research to inform um, practice and to make significant shifts in school and also some policy um, changes as well that can come through rigorous research. Um, These areas, so Indigenous education is so critical for all kinds of reasons, not the least of which, of course, um, are the 94 calls to action um, that resulted from the Truth and Reconciliation Commission's work. And in those calls to action, there are several that are specific to education. And it is about um, ensuring that all curriculum um, in Canada, in K-12, has foundational knowledge. And so the research, and so we then are able to do research that illustrates very clearly the value for Indigenous learners of having that foundational knowledge, but indeed the value to all learners. Um, it is about shifting the way we think about ourselves as Canadians, and it's drawing on the research to illustrate how those shifts are possible when you um, include different, different ways of knowing um, and being in teacher education. And the same would be true of the LGBTQ2 plus um, research. So that research um, can really illustrate how these programs are making positive impacts um, on individuals and um, groups of individuals and indeed can inform a shift in educational practice and curriculum and also policy as well. So it's always that the research informs the action. And that's really important. And that's part of what we can bring as a faculty of education at a research intensive university. Well, we sure appreciate it. So um, this is us out in the field. So thank you. Now, one of the things that I find uh, fascinating and that I've always found when I've had student teachers over the years, how much they have taught me and, and, I'd like to know what have you seen um, or what have you seen or what have you heard in regards to that reciprocal nature of professional learning when student teachers come into schools or, or maybe another way of saying this is how do you think that student teachers contribute to the professional learning of their supervising teachers? 
Yeah, and it, and it is reciprocal for sure. And I think one of the things that our students bring to their field experiences is recent engagement with, with research. And I'll use, um, again, Indigenous education as an example. Our students, because they are having opportunities to um, engage in learning and uh, becoming more familiar with research in this area, they're bringing that into their school communities and their cooperating teachers and indeed other teachers in that school community are really looking to them for help and support and guidance as well as they are trying to take this work up in meaningful ways. So our students in lots of ways are are leaders in field experience in some of these areas that um, teach that long-time teachers haven't had the same opportunity to engage in. So they bring that research, they bring um, that theoretical consideration and the ability to, to bridge the theory and practice in important ways. Yeah. No, I, I always appreciate it. Whenever uh, are asked, I, I jump at the chance and, and, and try and, and, and our teachers do too. So that that's great to see. Now, my last question is when I'm, Kind of uh, before we move on from kind of the U of A and, and, and university specific questions is that I'd like to know what you think about because a big difference in your world is that you're dealing with adults and you're teaching teaching people that we, we really trust to, to know what they need and know what they want. And I imagine that that also increases the importance of student voice and student choice in programming and creation of curriculum. I'd like you to tell me what, what effect does what effect does that have, or what impact does that have on your program creation, and how you might use student feedback on your programs, and and maybe if you want to get into the back half, how you think that might inform maybe some of our high schools or maybe some schools about what are some meaningful ways, or what are some things that you've seen as an impact or a positive experience from using that student feedback. Yeah, great question. Uh, so. Um, we exist because of our students, so we obviously value their voice and their perspective. And in the context of our undergraduate program review and renewal process, we have um, actively sought out their um, perspectives on their own experiences and their learning. And they are always very generous with telling us exactly um, what they think, uh, good, bad, and everything in between. And that's important for us because that's how we can um, improve and grow as a faculty of education. So their voice is always um, valued and welcomed and will help us, as I said, to improve our programs. Um, now, what was the second part of that question? I'm interested to know if, if I mean, you work in schools and, and you work with now with adults and, you, and you've had that quite vigorous student feedback portion. Is there anything that you learned that might help schools if they're going through a similar process of trying to seek student feedback and input and, and what that, how they might integrate that into some of the changes that students are advocating for it in, in K-12 schools? Yeah, so, so I think that you have to extend, you have to be willing to extend the invitation um, and it has to be um, genuine and authentic. So not just a tokenistic engagement with young people to say, oh, well, we've, you know, they've had their opportunity to say what they think and now we're moving on. Um, but to, to really, um, in a genuine way, um, invite them to share their perspectives and then to 
follow up with them. So how were their experiences? How were their perspectives then used to inform important shifts or changes in what's happening in a school community or even what's happening in a classroom? And when I was a classroom teacher, I would often um, ask my students for feedback on particular things that I was doing. And then I would always follow up and say, okay, this is what you told me. And now here's what I'm doing with that. And here's how I will be better as a result. Yeah. Great. Thanks. Now, the next set of questions is perhaps not linked to the university. It's a bit more personal, but we realize that, you know, your personal life and your professional life are sometimes intertwined. So I realize if we may go back there. The first one is, is there something about learning or education that you believe is true that most people or at least a large percentage of people disagree with you about? Yeah, that's a great question. And I thought a lot about this one. And and I don't know whether I would be confident to say that a large number of people will, would disagree with me on it, but I know that some people do. And, um, and that is that I really believe in education. We have to uh, move away from this perception that teachers need to be experts, um, content area experts. And I think that certainly teachers can have uh, strong uh, content knowledge, but if we think that we are expert in something, then what that does is potentially shut down um, the possibilities for continued learning. And there is always continued learning. I know for myself, even in this role now, I am learning every day and I am growing as a result of that learning. You said something earlier about my expertise in teacher education. And I would say to you, I do not um, frame my work and my experiences in teacher education as expertise because I know that I am always learning and always growing. So that's, I think, something that, and I've had a little bit of pushback on that as well. When you think of the term master teacher, who or what comes to mind and why? Yeah. So, so I actually prefer to think of teaching excellence and I think it kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier, that this idea of a master teacher uh, somehow suggests that, that an individual has arrived. They have all of these um, incredible skills um, and, and that's, that's it. They've arrived. Whereas I think that we can um, be, have, we can demonstrate excellence in teaching, but we also... Um, even as experienced teachers are going to have missteps as well. And so that's why I would actually reject this idea of master teacher. You're not the first person to say that. So I wonder if that might be a different change. I had a very similar conversation with Dr. Phil McCray a couple of weeks ago. So that's, that's, that's interesting. And I appreciate that, that response. <laughs> Phil and I did not even have that conversation together. So. <laughs> um. Next question is, do you have a favorite failure or a favorite success? And what I mean by that is, is, do you have an experience that was either positive or negative that you felt really helped you learn an important lesson and that you reflect back on? Yeah, I do. I've, I mean, I have many that I could draw on, but I'm going to talk about one in particular. And 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 as a result of, of this learning, um, it's become my area of scholarship and research for the last 10 years. So when I was a newly minted um, PhD and had my first academic position at the University of Regina. And my area of research at the time was citizenship education. I happened to have an office across the hall from the former dean of the faculty who had been a champion for Indigenous 
Indigenous teacher. He invited me to participate in a research project on best practices in treaty education. And I had no idea what treaty education was. And that was a huge learning for me because it exemplified the gaps in my own knowledge as a white settler teacher who had really taught social studies uh, to high school students um, from a, um, a dominant the perspective that dominant narrative was what I reproduced in my own teaching. And it was in the context of this discussion with the former dean and my own um, ignorance around treaty education that has led me on this um, learning journey about treaties, the treaty relationship, the importance of treaty education for all students um, across the country, regardless of whether you live in a a treaty, a number treaty territory or not. So that was a huge learning and it was a result of the limitations of my own knowledge. Mm-hmm. Great, great story. Yeah. The great learning. Uh, I'm going to ask you a couple, uh, maybe quicker, uh, type answered questions, but don't, don't feel like you need to limit yourself. If you want to tell us why I'm okay with that too. Do you have a favorite app or a favorite website or even some other media that that you really like either personally or professionally? Uh, So Facebook would be my favorite app, (laughs) uh, both personally and professionally, because it's a way for me to stay connected uh, with friends, family, and also colleagues uh, across the world. And I also um, really appreciate the um, some of the posts that come across my my app feed, my Facebook feed, because they are provocative. Uh, they link to interesting articles. Um, there's good debate and dialogue. And I do sort of have really restricted settings on my Facebook page. So it's not public. Not everybody can. Um, so I get to choose uh, who I'm friends with and who gets to see my my profile. But I do really um, see it as a vehicle to stay connected and to stay up to date on uh, some of the conversations and discussions that are happening. Mm-hmm. I've gotten a lot of people having trouble picking this uh, next one or <laughs> whittling it down to one or two, uh, especially people who are uh, linked to, you know, a lot of reading in academia. So let's see how you do. Do you have a favorite book that you like to quote that you refer to or that you like to refer or gift to others? I do, in fact, and I have given it to every graduate student that I've worked with, and it's called Unsettling the Settler Within, and it's by Paulette Reagan. Excellent. Thank you so much. I, I was I was hoping you wouldn't go with like APA6 or something like that. So that <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> What's one thing that you do every day or most days that keeps you well and healthy? Mm-hmm. Great question. So uh, time with my children, and that is intentional time with my children where my, I'm not on a device. I don't have a computer nearby. There's no iPad open. It's just time talking with them about their days and, and being intentional as a mother and also um, walking the dog. So that's for me wellness as well. Do you have an organization or a person that inspires you? Mm-hmm. So I have two people right now that inspire me. Um, and one is uh, the president of the University of Regina, who I was so privileged to work alongside for 10 years. And that's Dr. Vianne Timmons. Uh, she is an amazing advocate for women in leadership. Uh, she has an international 
um, profile research and scholarship in inclusive education. She's been a classroom teacher. Um, she is just amazing in every respect. I watch her and I learn from her. And even though uh, she's not my president now, I continue to um, learn from her. And then the other person who inspires me huge, and I'm on the pre-sale list for tickets, is Michelle Obama. And I think that she is remarkable and she could be president. I think she is, she is smart. She is thoughtful. Um, she, she pushes people to think differently. She challenges, uh, dominant narratives, but she does so in a way that is generous, um, intelligent, articulate. Uh, she's amazing. Love her. Those are two great ones. Let's talk about what's, uh, what's next for you. What are some of the questions, problems, or projects that you're looking at tackling next? Yeah. Great question. Uh, so one of our big projects is renewal of our undergraduate teacher education program. And as you might know, um, curriculum change, program change uh, always takes time. And at a university, sometimes there are eight or nine levels of governance. So I'm under no illusion that this is going to happen quickly, but I'm really looking forward to moving that process forward and also uh, continuing to expand our truth and reconciliation education initiatives um, within the faculty and our outward facing work as well in that respect. That's great. Let's say people wanted to uh, connect with you or follow along on that kind of work. What are some of the best ways that they can do that or at least connect with you? Mm. So through Twitter, for sure. And my uh, Twitter is Tupper3J. That's So you can find me on Twitter that way. And people can uh, direct message me on Twitter if they want. Um, or they can always uh, find me through email. And um, that's easily accessible on the Faculty of Education website. Well, I want to thank you so much, Dr. Tapper, for taking a little bit of time out of your busy schedule and speaking with us today. So uh, wishing you uh, well with that, with that renewal. And, and again, thank you so much. Well, thank you, Corey. And thanks for all you do for education in this province. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Intersection Education Podcast. Before you go... I'd like to recognize that the land where this interview took place is a sacred place that has a long history of human existence. This land has helped people like the Cree, Salto, Nisitapi or Blackfoot, Métis, and Nakota Sioux live well for thousands of years. Let us continue to live well and respect this land.